Hello and welcome to Where RA Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with the former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. I'm tonight's co-host, Karishma Bagani, a senior from Kenya, double majoring in theater and history at the Tisch School of the Arts and the College of Arts and Science, respectively, and I'm currently an RA in Broome. And I'm Tom Ellett, and I serve as the other co-host, and my job at NYU is the Senior Associate Vice President of Student Affairs. Welcome, Karishma. How is life as an RA going for you? It's absolutely wonderful. Always nice to return um, in this position, and I've been having a wonderful time getting to know my residents. Well, you're a very talented young woman, and not only academically, but in the role of RA, and we're glad to have you with us tonight. Thank you. So, Tom, we have a really great guest tonight. Who? Today, our guest is Muni Syed, who served as an RA in Third North under the careful supervision of Sarah Klein and Molly Degas between 2003 and 2005. Welcome, Muni, and thank you so much for joining us on today's show. It's truly a pleasure having you, and I'm so excited to speak to you today. Thank you. Me too. It's great to be here. So tell us more. How are you? When? Where are you? So I live in Los Angeles now. I've been here for about three years, and prior to that, I was in San Diego for about eight, and then right before that, I was in New York. Wonderful. Tell us more about the work that you've been doing. Uh, What have you done since you graduated from NYU, and uh, what sparked the journey from beyond university? Sure. Yeah, it was all very accidental. I had an awesome job working at a law firm in New York. And right as I graduated, it became apparent that if I wasn't going on to law school, that I couldn't serve the law firm in the way that they needed me to. So I was released from my job there um, and decided to move to San Diego. And it was like a totally different environment, a totally different world. And I wandered into a job fair, wandered into a job working with uh, motivational speaker Tony Robbins. So that was, it was all kind of very much by accident how it all took place, but uh, it ended up being one of the best decisions I've ever made. So Tony Robbins? Yeah. So you ran into him like at this uh, career fair or? No, so he wasn't there. So I was at the career fair. And of course, like California and New York are very different places and no one really prepares you for that until you're actually out here. So I got all dressed up in my New York City job fair, like full three-piece suit with the tie and everything and my NYU leather folio with all my beautifully printed resumes. And I'm wandering around and this job fair was so chill. Everything was so relaxed that I definitely stuck out. But in this case, it was in a really good way because I marched up to the the Anthony Robbins booth thinking like, this will be hilarious. I'll just go talk to these people. And they took one look at my resume, saw that I'd gone to NYU, which apparently out here on the West Coast, or at least at the time in San Diego, was like a unicorn being sighted in the wild. Um, and they got really excited. And I went through a whole bunch of interviews and got the job. And after I had you know, got the job in the, the creative department there, my boss had said, look, we had a ton of applicants. And the thing that put you out in front of everybody else was that you went to NYU. So I always, you know, kissed my diploma on the way out the door on the way to work every day, because it was great to have that uh, be that extra little edge that got me in front of the crowd. So you went as kind of a joke to go up to Tony Robbins booth. Yeah. But yet they took it much more seriously. Oh, yeah. They freaked out. Her eyes got real big. And she's like, don't talk to anybody else. Don't talk to any other booth. Just take my card and I'll call you on Monday. So it was a very kind of I didn't even try. I kind of said one thing. I was like, hey, I just graduated from NYU for, with you know a degree in journalism. And I'd love a job where I could write. And then it was all over from there. So it was it was pretty easy. That's absolutely fascinating. That is 
so wonderful. I'm still in shock um, <laughs> that you had the chance to work with him. Tell us a little bit more about your journey while you were here at NYU. How did some of the skills you picked up in your degree in journalism, you know, translate into the job uh, post-graduation? And, and what were some of your most memorable moments? Yeah, again, I was really lucky. Um, and, you know, I wanted to, to reference, you know, this, I feel like there's a there might be a little bit of eye rolling happening in the back somewhere to the listeners listening to this. It was very easy, but at the time it didn't seem easy. So looking back, it seems like it was an easy, free flowing thing and everything sort of fell into place. And the reason I say that is because I started at NYU as pre-med. Uh, my parents were, my mom's a doctor, my dad's an engineer. They both were really committed to me going to med school. So I did about a year of that before I kind of washed out and didn't want to do it anymore. So when I came back to NYU the next semester, I said, look, there's got to be something else I want to do. I'd always been passionate about writing. I'd always been passionate about telling stories. And so what attracted me was the the journalism department. So I went and started to major in journalism, and I loved it. Uh, and then in journalism at the time, you needed a minor. And so the minor that I could sort of piece together with some of the classes I'd already taken was in dramatic literature. So I ended up having both ends of the writing spectrum in my college education, journalism with facts and figures and, and numbers. And then dramatic literature with the way you could weave a story out of all of that. And those were the skills that I think helped me the most when I started at Tony Robbins, because that's what that job was, was taking, you know, hard information, facts, figures, scientific research and turning it into teachable content. So so you left at some point Tony Robbins. So talk to us about that move after you left. Sure. Yeah. So I was in corporate at Tony Robbins for about two years in San Diego. And I was uh, I was traveling on one event. It was kind of one of those like movie situations where somebody quit at the last minute, and I was the new kid on the on the team. And they said, "Hey, new kid, here's a cardboard box full of stuff. You need to leave for London in 30 days and manage this multi million dollar event." So that was like the craziest thing that had ever happened at the time. But I think after three years of being an RA and seeing everything that went on behind the scenes at NYU, it kind of gives you this feeling like you can pretty much handle anything that comes your way. So I jumped into it, you know, full force. I was able to do an incredible job. I got noticed for doing a great job. And then, you know, a couple of years after that, I got promoted to tour manager. So then I was in charge of the entire tour as it traveled the world, all over the place, to Europe, to Asia, to Australia a bunch of times, and all over the U.S. And that was just when the magic started to happen in my career. That was some of the, the best years of my life were spent on the road uh, doing that. You talked about uh, behind the scenes while you were an RA here and how that really translated into uh, your career. Do you want to speak a little bit about your time as an RA and some of the biggest issues that happened while you were in Third North? How did you navigate that? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is where it gets really real. Um, and this is something that kind of came up when I was thinking about this interview is I was at NYU at a very interesting time. And interesting is a word that I guess I'll use as a placeholder for a bunch of other words. It was certainly around the time of 9-11, which impacted the university and the city and the world. And then NYU also went through a dark period of multiple suicides that were happening while I was an RA at Third North. So that was a really difficult time to be an RA, but it was also a very empowering time to be an RA, because those were times when Students and your residents were coming up to you with problems that you could help them find the right solutions for. It was a time that we all came together as a university and a time we all came together as a community. And it really led to a lot of lasting friendships and a lot of lasting support and support systems. And so I'm really grateful. It's weird to think about it that way, but I'm grateful to have been there for a portion of that period of NYU's history because it made me into the person I am today. Why don't you talk a little bit about that person you are and maybe talk a little bit about how that has translated to what you're doing today. 
Sure. I think that what ended up happening as a result of being an RA is that it really firmed and cemented for me that I love helping people. And I love seeing people kind of turn into a better version of themselves or the best version of themselves for that time period and really allowing them to grow and play and figure out what they love and what they don't necessarily love and what they're attracted to and what they're passionate about. And all these things that open up when you're away from home for the very first time in the middle of New York City having these incredible experiences and you know your the whole city is your playground it's your campus is just everywhere and so to me that was really fascinating to watch how people grew and changed specifically when i was a a freshman ra the last year that i was an ra that was probably the most fun i had as an ra because i got to see these kids grow into little adults and grow into real adults you know over the course of that year so that was really fun and then as i continued on in my work um, there's probably a reason why that the Tony Robbins thing happened the way that it did, because I was primed and ready to do even more of that work, to help people figure out what they love, to help people figure out what made them happy, to break through things that were keeping them stuck or keeping them held back and really kind of open the channels for all the good things that they want in life to come their way. And then also deal with the things that that aren't so great. So after Tony Robbins, oddly enough, I took a big chunk of time off because I was exhausted from traveling and I spent a bunch of time in India visiting family. And then at that point, I got tapped for another job working at Hay House Publishing, which is the number one publisher of spiritual books and uh, and media. And so that opportunity was like the next perfect step after, you know, the whole Tony Robbins thing. So when I look back on it, it's like, okay, I was an RA. Then I became this, you know, this guy working at Tony Robbins and managing this event and creating this experience. And then I went on to create learning opportunities for people to expand their spiritual horizons uh, with this huge media company. So it all, like I said, seems very easy when I look back on it. But at the time, I didn't know that was that's what was happening. In terms of spirituality, there's probably you're seeing that as a difference from religiosity, right? Talk a little bit about how you think about uncovering someone's spirituality through the work that you do. Yeah. So, you know, my upbringing was very unusual. Um, We're a Muslim family from India. I was born in upstate New York. Um, We weren't really raised with a religion in our house. We had very close family friends that were Jewish, and we celebrated all the Jewish High Holy Days, and then I went to Catholic school. So it was a big mix of stuff for me. Growing up was a big intersection of all these things, and it really did allow me to question what it meant uh, and, and the different schools of thought and how they all kind of interplayed because I was right in the middle of all of that. Uh, and then when I got into high school, my parents uh, joined a Unitarian church. And then that sent it even one step further um, that I was exposed to even larger schools of thought uh, that weren't necessarily part of the big three that I was experiencing when I, when I was growing up. So all of that, I think, informed my ability to be cool with anybody's form of spiritual expression. So if it's something as simple as closing your eyes and breathing and thinking about, you know, what a positive, amazing day you're going to have, that's amazing. And if it's deep meditation or if it's yoga or if it's chakra work or if it's, you know, any of the stuff that's considered new age or woo woo or anything that's out there. um, I think in my experience of working with it now, I've seen people come overcome very difficult obstacles and very terrible things and traumas and and struggles by using the tools that are part of these very ancient teachings 
So to me, that expression of it or that exploration of it is something that we all really owe ourselves. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, mentoring somebody uh, comes with its own challenges, especially when you're trying to navigate stuff uh, yourself as well. So, yeah, can you speak a little bit about how you work with individuals and support them to the best of your ability, but also take care of yourself at the same time? Um, Were there any uh, tactics that you used while being an RA that you still continue as part of your self-care practice, shall I say? Yeah, I think self-care is definitely it. I mean, there was always a time, you know, even from earlier than being an RA, that you get to a point where you know that you need to take a step back or you need to just chill out or you need to unplug. And that there's lots of different ways to describe that feeling. And we all use that as, you know, our, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. It's too much. I need a break. I need a vacation, whatever that language comes up as. And it's good to sometimes look at that and say, okay, what's causing this? And really kind of delve into it and say, am I overwhelmed? Am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling vulnerable? Am I feeling, you know, exhausted? Am I overstretched too thin? Or whatever it is that's coming up for you that's causing you to have those kind of like hit the escape key, get me out of here type of reactions. And once you can identify that and be able to stop that from happening, you get to install some really great self-care practices. So I know, for example, every Sunday, whatever's going on, I'm out hiking at Runyon Canyon in the morning before anybody wakes up and can you know, call me or try to get me to go to brunch or anything like that. I'm at least doing myself that favor. Same thing with the amount of hours that I work. You know, I could easily work 14, 15, 16 hour days and keep doing that and have that be something I love, but I know that it doesn't foster necessarily a good way to find life balance. So anything you can do to kind of give yourself a little bit of space and not make yourself wrong about it is a great way to practice self-care. And I think that was something that started a little bit when I was an RA, definitely grew into something as a, a Tony Robbins employee. And then as I worked with Hay House and started my own business, it's definitely come to the forefront of everything I do. So tell me what a normal day looks like in your life, uh, in your work life today. Normal day, day in the life. I wake up around seven, depending on what's going on that day, but I like to get in some meditation. So it's about 15 or 20 minutes on a beautiful red bean bag that someone gave me as a present. So I do that in silence for about 15 minutes. Then I have to get my coffee in. (laughs) So that's definitely a big part of it. And then you just start going. I have clients that are in Australia, I have clients that are on the East Coast, I have clients all over the US, and uh, it just depends on what's scheduled for that day that I I get going. Uh, In between all of that, I create space for, I'm a big fan of of scheduling time blocks. So I know, for example, every Monday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. is my writing time. Uh, Every Tuesday from this time to this time, I'm on a, a marketing call. You know, and I, I try to, to balance my day out so that I can actually schedule in blocks for going to the gym, taking hikes, seeing friends, going out, just creating that 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 beautiful balance that we all try to find where we feel fulfilled. Uh, so that's that's a typical day for me. And then I wrap it up with a really great dinner. I've started cooking Indian food, which is part of my heritage. So I love to have that for dinner and then hang out with friends, go get a drink, watch TV, go to bed, start all over again. We're all jealous of your <laughs> life. I, I, we, sign me up. Very California. Sign me up. <laughs> what kind of Indian food? Just out of curiosity. So my mom was just here. And uh, one of the things I regret before my grandmother passed away was not learning how to cook from her because her food was just like the best. So I, I sat with my mom and really kind of tried to recreate some of the recipes she was making. So dal and rice is one of my new specialties. I'm really good at alu gobi. Um, I'm getting pretty good at a good, like a solid kima, but most of the vegetarian dishes are the ones I'm, I'm getting really good at. Krishna's drooling right now. I'm so, so ready to eat. 
you've got to share some of these recipes with me. I'm a huge fan of cooking as well, and uh, definitely something we should we should chat about. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the ways that I find a little bit of zen and some peace. I find it to be very meditative and like a really great experience to just calm yourself. Absolutely. Um, so kind of talking about this routine that you set up for yourself on a daily basis, even post-university life, I know NYU is something that our students don't necessarily describe as a traditional college experience because it is a very in and off the city university and there are different struggles and glories that come with being at NYU that aren't necessarily applicable to other universities around the country, around the world. So uh, tell us a little bit about that experience for you. How non-traditional was it or how has that experience helped you when you think about your time uh, here so i'm i'm grateful that nyu was such a, a hot pot of of activity a melting pot of activity if you will i love these they're... cooking metaphors they're so great <laughs> getting my stomach rumbling but go on no but but to me it was it was a non-traditional experience and that's exactly what i was looking for um you know at the time when i was in high school uh I wasn't exactly necessarily dedicated to my studies and my parents were very nervous that I wasn't going to get in anywhere. So I ended up applying to 21 different schools because my parents were convinced it was going to be a tough, you know, experience to get in anywhere. And I ended up acing my SATs and got in almost to everything that I applied to. And so at the end, it came down to Boston University, Syracuse University and New York University. So I was from Syracuse. So that rules that out. Uh, as attractive as that was. And then Boston to me seemed a little too constrained. Uh, and New York, when I got there, it just felt right. There's an, like, we all know this, when you hit the city for the first time, like there's an energy that, that, you know, you get carried away in. And it's, it's an amazing experience and it's an amazing place to learn. And it's an amazing place to kind of fully, become fully fledged as a young adult and figure out what drives you and, and what you love and all the art and all the music and all the experiences and some of the smells are really interesting <laughs> too. But, uh, but it was, it was magic. I think that was it. It was, it, I knew immediately. And so there was no question in my mind, which one to choose. It was New York university. I can't imagine looking back now, I can't imagine having gone anywhere else. So, you're doing great things. Uh, do you stay in contact with other RA alums or residents? Is your chance to give some shout outs? Yeah, definitely some shout outs. Um, I'm still very much in touch with Andy Bellotti, who was my roommate, because when the, there was a Greek RA, the Greek RA shared a room with uh, the sixth floor, whatever tower that was, RA. So Andy and I ended up being accidental roommates and have gone on to become great friends. Um, I'm still in touch with Jamingua Bullock, who I was telling you about, who was a GA my first year that I was there. She's an incredible force for good in the world and she's doing some incredible work there's some wonderful friends uh stephanie chan and uh kelly heskew and daniel davis and just like you know wonderful wonderful people i loved all my ras that i worked with every once in a while at a blue moon we'll run into each other or we'll hang out in new york when i'm back there and it's always laughs and, and lots of good memories excellent this is the chance for fast takes where we're going to go through some questions really quickly and the first one is Favorite tradition at NYU? The 24-hour musical was pretty fun. I don't know if you guys do that anymore. No, we don't. <laughs> did you go abroad? I did not go abroad. Um, I went to Amsterdam my freshman year for spring break and then uh, did not go abroad again until a couple of years later. Best dining hall? Best dining hall was Third North. You didn't have to go anywhere. It was right there. Any celebrity sightings? Okay. So, uh, yes, the Dell Kid 
uh, I don't know if, if you, you're going to remember this, uh, that you're getting Adele. I do remember that. Yes, he lived in Greenwich Hall. He was in my he was in my psychology class, so I definitely saw him. I was there when Mary-Kate and Ashley showed up, so that was my last year of being an RA, and I think that was the craziest it got with one incident where there was a rumor that they were going to have a party at 3rd North, and within like 10 minutes, there were at least 150 or 200 people trying to sign into the building all at once to come to this party. So that was the craziest it ever got, but I don't, I don't remember running into too many other celebrities. All right. Finally, what was your most memorable moment as an RA? Oh boy, um, I have some some G-rated ones and I have some X-rated ones. I don't know which ones you want. Um, I'll let you choose since this is a family show. <laughs> it's a family show. All right, I'll give you the G-rated one. Um, I would say one of my favorite memories was being on duty during the famous blackout of 2004. I remember it well. Yes. And so I was on duty and it was right when some of the freshmen were starting to show up. So it was right towards the end of the summer and nobody was pre obviously prepared for it. Nobody knew what was happening. And the phone lines were still working. And I was getting all these phone calls from concerned parents. And one of the moms called in. She said, my daughter just got there a couple of days ago. She's freaking out. She won't leave her room. Can you go and check on her? So I took another RA who another one I'm giving a shout out to is Reshma. And Reshma and I went up to her room, took the elevator key, went up there and, you know, knocked on her door and said, we're the RAs. And Reshma was like, yeah, I'm here too. Like, we're, we're here to check on your mom called. And the girl opens the door and she looks like she'd been crying for like, you know, hours. Her face was all, you know, red and blotchy and she was sniffling. And Reshma took one look at her. And she said, do you need a hug? And the girl just like fell into pieces and gave Reshma a big hug. And we calmed her down and, and got her to a comfortable place. And I just remember thinking like that was probably one of the best, funniest, cutest experiences I had as an RA at NYU because it just like was so immediate. We could go there. She needed a hug. She just needed somebody to tell her everything was going to be OK. And she was fine. It was a John Sexton moment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> With yeah. the hugs. Totally. I guess I guess I had learned it from him. You, you did. <laughs> Mooney, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I and discussing your journey um, and sharing your life um, after NYU and, and all the amazing things that you're doing. And as always, thank you to our listeners who can continue to stay connected with RA alums that are living the Dream School alumni version life. Mooney, thank you so much. Uh, great to hear your voice and the great things that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you both for this uh, awesome experience, and I'm looking forward to listening to the podcast. Absolutely. Special thanks to my engineer, Juliana, Fonseca, Alesso, and to the current professional staff and the alums like Molly and Sarah of NYU who assisted these great RAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like the show, look for more content on www.wherearenow.com or read their favorite RA books by going to whattheyreading.blogspot.com or you can tweet to me at T-E-Ellett for some shout outs. Until next time, think about how you can contribute to a better community wherever you reside.